Good morning, everyone. Man, it is so glad. Um, it's so good to see you. I'm so glad to be here. 52 weeks ago this week, the world began to shift a little bit. But I want to tell you, for me, the last 52 weeks have been a refining fire of Jesus helping me understand more who he is, how much I need him, how much to lean into him. And I'm really grateful for the past year, and I'm really excited for the next year. I want you all to come pray with me tonight at 630. If you don't have anything going on, 630 to around 745. We'll take an hour and 15 minutes. Um, And we are moving our Monday morning prayer um, service once a month to Sunday night prayer, basically so those of you who cannot come at 6 a.m. on Monday morning can be a part of it. And so for those of you who'd like to learn to pray as a family, to bring your elementary school children with you, to come as a husband and wife, which you can never do on Monday morning, can can come. So we'd love for you to come be a part of our service tonight at 630. Uh, we'll give you a prayer journal. We'll teach you how to pray. I think by the time you leave tonight, you will feel totally different about your upcoming week if you will pray over it first. So if you don't have anything going on, come and join us tonight at 6.30 for prayer. For those of you in our video teaching service, for those of you watching online, good morning. Thank you for being with us. Our church is coming home after a year of kind of scattering, which we did this week last year. Uh, Every week we have more and more people returning. So for those of you watching in our video teaching service, thank you for being on mission with us. Remember at the end of this month, March month, March 28th, we moved to five Sunday morning services instead of four. We'll have two at Summit Lakes Middle School instead of one, those will mirror our 9.30 and 11 a.m. service. If you're, if you're only here at 8 to make room at 9.30 and 11 for more people coming back to church and you'd rather go at that time, starting March 28th, which is Palm Sunday, you'll have two opportunities um, to, to go to church either here or at Summit Christian Academy. Uh, for those of you in our video teaching service, once we get past Easter, I'll be back in the 9.30 live um, at the main house and then the 11. We'll go video for a little bit, but thank you for being on mission. Just a few more months until we're all back together. Um, in our big building. Everyone's ready to get there, right? Can I get an amen to that? It's like, let's bring this thing all back together um, and get going in the new building, hopefully sooner than later. If you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 5. We're in message number 15 of Matthew chapter 5. Message number 4 of this new series that we're in. Grab your notes so that you can take notes as we go along. We're in this series, Chasing Perfection. Here's the theme verse of this series. We are chasing down the truth of the last verse of Matthew chapter 5. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly father, as perfect. Jesus will wrap up all of his teaching in Matthew 5 by saying, if you just know this one thing, you know enough. Just be as perfect as I am and you'll be able to connect to God. And those of us who know who Jesus is would say that is absolutely impossible. And Jesus would say, you're right by yourself. It is impossible, but with me, I'll give you my righteousness. I'll give you my perfection. If you will live for me, I will have lived for you and you can connect to God. So the whole premise of this series is just realizing how much we have to depend on Jesus to live like Jesus. Yes, we want to be like Jesus. We should be becoming more like Jesus every moment of every day of our life. But at the end of the day, to be as perfect as Jesus is impossible. We must rely on him and what he did for us. Everyone say, Jesus. This series is all about Jesus. Every Sunday at our church is all about Jesus. So a couple weeks ago, Daniel and I were hanging out with some friends, and one of our friends um, introduced us to his um, hot tub uh, Spotify playlist. He says, you know, every now and then when we have a date night, I'll come home and he turned on his, his kind of date night playlist and boys to men came blaring out of his phone. And he was like, this is my date night um, playlist. And from that moment, we we're sitting around the table for the next 90 minutes. We got on Spotify, four couples, and we just started playing like name that tune, like songs from the 80s and 90s that were on our playlist. Just like 
famous songs that we knew. Um, and one of the songs that came on was a song from 1994 by an artist named Beck that literally in the first five seconds of the riff, if you're between the ages of 37 and 43, you would know the song with, without a word. Um, the song starts in the time of chimpanzees. I was a... Yeah, so there are three of us who grew up in that time frame. The rest of us are like... What, 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 Jim, what, what did you just say? Doesn't matter. You're like, that's a weird song. It was written by a loser. At least that's what the guy says. The, the name of the song is Loser. And, and like the refrain of the song over and over and over is like, I'm, I'm a loser, baby. Like, I'm a loser. Um, the goal of today, the goal of today. Thank you, BJ, for listening to the same music that I listened to in high school. The goal of today is for you to become a loser. That's my goal. My, my goal for you today is that you would become a loser. You say, what do you mean by that? Let's specifically dig into the goals of this, this Sunday spiritually. I want you to clearly see how love sacrifices. We're going to learn that the primary ministry of Jesus in your life on the cross was a ministry of sacrifice. And one of the primary ways that we show Jesus that we love and trust him is by sacrificing in our life. So I want to show you today to, to see how clearly love sacrifices. And then number two, I want you to clearly see how seriously Jesus takes righteousness and how, G, how, how seriously Jesus takes marriage. So we're in this series called Chasing Perfection, but we're in a little focus area for four weeks on Jesus and marriage because Jesus is using a metaphor of marriage to teach us how to be close to Jesus. So we said, while we're studying Jesus, let's make sure we, we talk about the things in marriage that he's talking about as well. For those of you who want some supplemental reading, kind of my, my book club book of this month is Loveology by John Mark Comer. If you want a great book on marriage to kind of have a little refresher for your life, this is a great book for you to read by one of my favorite authors. But what we learned last week about Jesus and marriage was this. In Ephesians chapter five, Jesus says, if you want to know how to have a good marriage, just look at how I have loved the world. And Paul also says, if the world wants to know how Jesus loves, just tell them to look at a good marriage because Jesus and marriage should be a picture of the same type of love. So we're trying to learn how to love Jesus. But for those of us who are married, there's like a bone, there's some bonus content in this series because it teaches us how to love well um, for our husbands and our wives. For those of you who are engaged, I can't imagine four better weeks for you to get ready to be married than learning this content. For those of you who are maybe contemplating um, walking away from marriage, I don't know that there are four better weeks for you to learn and study about Jesus and marriage than this four weeks. So as we dig in today, let's pray and ask God to open our hearts. Would you bow your heads with me here and in our video teaching service? Take a deep breath and pray this. Start by asking God to forgive you of anything you did this week that might offend his spirit and ask him to cleanse your heart. And then ask him to speak to you and tell him that you'll listen. That's our prayer, God, that you would cleanse our heart of the things of the world and that you'd fill it with the things of God. Thank you that Jesus sacrificed his body so that our souls might be saved. We pray today that you teach us how to show love to Jesus through our sacrifice. Show us how to strengthen our marriages for those of us who are married through sacrifice. Teach us your word. Help us to apply it well today. We love you. And God, we ask these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, 
Amen. Matthew chapter 5, we're going to be in verses 27 through 32. Second week in these verses, we'll be there for two more after this. Here's what Jesus said. You've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away, it's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. It has been said anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So much to unpack there about marriage, which is why we're going to take it four weeks at a time. We learned last week that in a culture where lust is high and divorce is easy, marriage is in trouble. And if you haven't looked around lately, we live in a culture where lust is very, very high and divorce is very, very easy. And marriage, marriage is kind of going away. Um, as a matter of fact, more marriages end in divorce than are successful. If you get married, you have a better chance of not staying married than staying married in the culture that we live in. And last year, for the first time in American history, there were more babies born to women under the age of 30 who were not married than who were married. This whole concept of marriage and family like, is, is, is quickly just eroding in our world and going away. And if the people of God, if people who love Jesus and want to honor Jesus don't step in and say marriage has to in our life be a picture of Jesus to the world. I don't know that the, that the world will, that the institution of marriage will last much longer in our world. So last week we talked about the danger of lust. If you weren't here, you should go back and listen to that message. Today we're going to talk about the power of losing, of being a loser, of being willing to sacrifice. Uh, in week three, we'll show you a picture of love. We'll introduce you to a prophet named Hosea and show you what faithfulness can look like in a very, very difficult marriage. And then in our fourth week, we'll learn to love like Jesus when it comes to marriage. But today we're just going to focus on two verses, verses 29 and 30 of Matthew chapter five. We're going to kind of zone in on these two. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. It's better for you to lose. It's better for you to be a loser than to lose everything. It's better for you to choose to be a loser than to lose everything. Now, these verses are primarily about our walk with Jesus, but they also teach us something about marriage. And as we dig in, I think we're going to learn how to better walk with God, and we might learn how to strengthen our marriage in the process, because I have learned nearly all marriage problems are spiritual problems. Not all, but almost all. Almost every marriage problem is a spiritual problem. And if we can learn to address the spiritual problems in our hearts, usually our marriage problems kind of fix themselves. Not always, but almost always. Marriage problems are spiritual problems. And if we will address the spirit, we will begin to experience healing in marriage. So today we're just going to look at two things from these two verses. And we're going to learn how to love Jesus, how to receive love from Jesus, and how to love our spouse, and hopefully how to receive love from our spouse. We're going to talk, number one, first about just the sacrifice of love. We're going to talk about the sacrifice of love. In 1 Corinthians 13, Paul, writing to a church in Corinth, says, Love is patient, and love is kind. Love is, does not envy, and love does not boast. 
It is not proud. It never dishonors. It's not self-seeking. Love is not easily angered. It doesn't keep a record of wrong. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. And what we're going to learn today through the lens of Jesus is love always sacrifices. Let me say it again. Love always sacrifices. And what we're going to see from Matthew chapter 5 is that in order to love God, in order to love your spouse well, you're going to have to be willing to lose by choice. Not because they make you, but because you choose to sacrifice for love. In order to love God and your spouse well, you're going to have to be willing to lose by choosing to throw away things that offend, things that interfere, things that distract, things that break fellowship with God, things that break fellowship with one another. The love and life of Jesus teaches us about the sacrifice of love, someone who chooses to sacrifice because of love. We are today, you heard Christian say in the video, in in step one of our growth track that tells a little bit about the the history and vision and mission and infrastructure of our church, how it works, the things we're passionate about. In step three of our growth track, you learn about just how to be a spiritual leader in the world. And one of the things you learn about spiritual leadership is that spiritual leaders have to, they have to be people who are willing to sacrifice. One of our leadership values is willing sacrifice. If you go to a church where you have a lot of people sacrifice, but they're unwilling, they're not going to be there very long. It's not going to be a very healthy church. You don't want to hang around and listen to conversations happening in the hallway in churches that are filled with unwilling sacrifice. But when you get around a culture of people who are willing to sacrifice together for a greater good, whether it's a team, whether it's a management team that you work with at work, whether it's family member, whether it's church, that's a great place to be around where people are willing to sacrifice together. You learn about willing sacrifice and then on step four, you get a chance to join our team. We're starting to give out new t-shirts now at the end of step four that say Team JCI. If you've been through Grow Track, you say, wait a minute, we didn't do that when I, when I was there. Just go, go, go find Pastor Ryan or Hannah and say, hey, I, like, I, I graduated step four. Give me um, a new t-shirt. But we are looking for people at our church who are willing to sacrifice because the love of Jesus is willing sacrifice. Love always sacrifices. And when you look at the life and the ministry of Jesus, what you realize is Jesus taught and modeled the sacrifice of love. He taught it in words that were almost, he taught it in words that were, that were almost obscene in his culture. In Mark chapter 8, he talked about the sacrifice of what it would look like to love him. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. Jesus says, if you want to follow me, you got to be a loser. you got to be willing to lose your life. But he used this phrase that is absurd for him to say before he was crucified. Hey, you want to be my disciple, you have to take up your cross and follow me. In 4 BC, 2,000 Jews were crucified in one day along the highways of Palestine when Roman came and thwarted a revolt. Roman crucifixion was the most horrific way to die literally in the history of the world. They perfected slow, painful, excruciating, embarrassing death. And Jews would probably every day of their life when they went in and out of major cities see someone hanging on a cross. It was a daily occurrence. History records that the Roman culture crucified hundreds of thousands of people. They would be hanging on the sides of the roads as you went from town to town, major city to major city. It was not just the electric chair of the day. It was the very public, humiliating, 
um, embarrassing electric chair of the day. And for Jesus to show up before he had been crucified and say, to follow me looks like crucifixion, would have left his followers saying, that's the craziest thing anyone could ever say. Like for a pastor to say, you really want to love Jesus? Go to the electric chair. You would say, that is, that's asinine. Like that, that doesn't even make sense. I have to give my life in order to have Jesus. Jesus taught a level of sacrifice that was absurd. And then he kind of doubled down on it in case you say, are you sure he's serious? He said, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world and let you forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone's ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the son of man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his father's glory with the holy angels. So you say, I have to give my life to show my love? That's crazy. You're right. Unless the one who taught it modeled it. And he did. I have to give my life to show my love? Jesus says, yes, but I will go first. See, the only way you could teach this level of sacrificial love is to lead by example. To go first. So Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, it's going to be it's going to be like taking up your cross. No one would want to take up their cross, but Jesus said, I'll, it's not easy, but I will go first. Everybody say Jesus. That's how Jesus loves. Most of us, if we were to get really honest, we do not want to love like Jesus. We're just not shaped that way. It's, it's not our nature to love like Jesus. Like we love him. We just don't want to love like him. Because we looked at these great verses last week in Philippians 2 about how Jesus loves. And most of us don't want to do this. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, didn't consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. We learned last week there are one of two relational shapes that you can have. A fig leaf faith that says it's all about me. Or Jesus faith that says it's all about them. Most of us do not walk into a relationship thinking, what can I give them? from this relationship? What can they get from me? How can I benefit them? Most of us love Jesus, but we don't want to love like Jesus because that means in every relationship we engage in, we are not looking for an advantage. We're trying to figure out how we can give someone an advantage from our life. Jesus in every relationship that he had thought, what do they need from me? And here was the main thing they needed. He wasn't looking for an advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. The guy who said, take up your cross to sacrifice for me would have been ruled completely insane unless he would take up his cross for you first. And Paul said that's what he did. His life would model what it looked like to love, that we sacrifice for one another. And his teaching would say, if you're one of my followers, I command you to do the same, be willing to sacrifice. So we get back to our main text today. If your right eye causes you to stumble, because love sacrifices, if your right eye gets in the way of love, gouge it down, throw it away. Be better for you to be a loser with one part of your body than lose all of it by being thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, if your right hand gets in the way of you loving someone, get rid of it. Cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. 
You say, Christian, did Jesus really mean for people to do this? I hope not. If so, we'll have to change the name of our church to Pirate Church International because like next week we'll be like, everyone will have like a right eye patch and a hook on their right hand. Like our, our matey, like, well, like welcome to church. Like if Jesus meant this, Christians would be pirates. Like all of us, right? Like if, like if Jesus meant this, we would all be pirates. So no, I, I don't think he meant it. He was using a very, very strong metaphor to say, this is how seriously you should take love and this is how seriously you should take things that interfere with you loving me, and it's how seriously you should take things that interfere with you loving your husband or wife. You should be willing to lose things before you lose your marriage. It shows us how seriously Jesus takes our love for him and how seriously Jesus takes marriage. But here's where Jesus' love, I mean, stands really, really tall, right? While these verses are a metaphor for us, thank God, They were a reality for him. You know why we don't have to gouge out our eyes and cut off our hands? Because Jesus laid his entire body, both of his eyes, his right and his left, both of his hands, his right and his left, on a cross. And because Jesus laid his entire body on a cross. You say, that's a really tough metaphor. It is, but not for Jesus, because he did way more than one eye, one hand. He gave his entire body. And First Peter would say, when we really think about Jesus, he bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we could die to our sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, we have been healed. Peter said he laid his entire body on the cross, both eyes, both hands, heart and soul, so that you could give him your right eye and your right hand. So you wouldn't have to gouge them out and throw it away, but you could surrender them to Jesus by sacrificing things that get in the way of you loving him and receiving his love and sacrificing things that get in the way of you loving your spouse well. Radical principles we learn about loving Jesus, but the way they leak into marriage and the things they teach us about marriage are really, really powerful. So as, as we go from recognizing and acknowledging the love of Jesus to seeing how this can apply to marriage, we look at point number two today, becoming a loser so that we can win. Becoming a loser so that we can win because we learn a lot about the sacrificial love of Jesus for us and return to him. But this love Jesus said kind of fits well in the context and the metaphor of marriage. So let's look at the key verses again. Some interesting words in these two verses. If your right eye causes you to stumble, you need to circle or underline that word in your Bible. That is a fa- it's a fascinating Greek word and word picture. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. Better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, there it is again, underline, highlight that word, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. So let me say again, these verses primarily about you and your relationship to God, about you and the things in your life that get in the way of you having a healthy relationship with God. But they also have some extremely practical applications for marriage. Let me give you just three. These won't be listed on your notes, but if you're like a a, a kind of neurotic note taker like me, you'll have to write these down because they have numbers. And if they have a number, they're important um, and you need to write them down. So what is the first application of marriage in these verses? The first is this, for Christian spouses to be close to each other, they really have to get closer to God. A lot of our pastors, when we talk to people in premarital counseling, will use this diagram to explain marriage. We believe this is a picture of marriage. 
that at the top of a marriage sits God, and when a husband and wife come together, they're at some points on this, on this pyramid or on this triangle. And as the husband and wife each get closer to God, what happens naturally? Thank you for your answer. They get closer to each other. For those of you in the video teaching service, nobody answered that question correctly. So let me ask again. As the husband and wife get closer to God, what happens to them? They get closer together, right? Right. Marriage application number one, as you get closer to God, you're going to get closer to each other. What if the husband gets closer to God, but the wife continues to slide away from God? They're going to get further apart. What if the husband and wife both continue to drift from God? They're going to get further apart. So these verses primarily are going to teach us a lot about how we love God. But what we're learning in marriage is that as we love God, God brings us together in our relationship. Marriage application number one, as we get closer to God, we get closer to each other. Marriage application number two, as we get further from God, we're going to get further from each other. But marriage application number three, you got to be willing to lose things in your life that are making you stumble in your marriage. You got to be willing to really evaluate things in your life. And these are not things that trip you up. But you got to be willing to lose things that cause you to stumble in your marriage. You say, what does it mean to stumble in your marriage? Fascinating word. It's the Greek word scandalizo. Sound like an English word? Scandal? Here's the picture in Greek language. It was the bait stick that springs an animal trap after enticing them in. It was the thing that once it fell caused the animal to be killed. Some of you have some bait sticks in your life and marriage that I promise you when the trap falls is going to destroy everything. Some of you have already been through that process. The bait stick drew you in. The trap fell. And your, your marriage is over. What you need to know is there's so much grace and forgiveness and love for Jesus, from Jesus for you. We don't want to be a place that condemns you for what happened in the past. We want to be a place that redeems the past and starts a new chapter going forward. That's why I love our divorce care ministry that happens on Sunday nights. People just getting free from the traps of their past that destroyed their life and their marriage. Bait stick. Some of you um, are right now inside the trap, but the bait stick is not fallen yet. Get out. Get out. Like, run as far and as fast as you can now. Get out. Some of you have fallen in the trap, but, you're, but your marriage isn't dead yet. Scream for help. And don't stop until someone shows up or you're totally hoarse. Just scream for help. I've messed up. I've stumbled. I'm trapped. We don't know what to do. Scream for help. And some of you are kind of eyeing the bait right now. And right now, you have text messages on your phone. You have interactions with people on social media. You have meetings set up next week that are nothing more than bait. Open your eyes and see what's happening. See the whole trap, not just the bait stick that's luring you in. Fascinating word. Jesus said, if you have things in your life that are inviting you in to trap you and kill you, you better get rid of those. Amen? You better get rid of those. So what are, what are we going to do? We're going to try to figure out how we don't stumble.
Pastor John MacArthur, I love listening to him preach and teach the Bible, says if we don't consciously and purposely control what's around us, where we go, what we do, what we watch and read, the company we keep, the conversations we have, then those things will control us. And what we cannot control, we should discard without hesitation. Turn to someone near you and say, run from the bait. Listen, run from the bait. We're going to take just a little bit of time we have left, and we're going to address five bait sticks that will ruin your spiritual life, and if you're married, will cause your marriage to get trapped and eventually kill it. Here's the key question we're going to ask. What are the things I must be willing to lose to win spiritually? What are the things I must be willing to lose in marriage? Jesus says, if you have some bait in your life that's trying to draw you in and trap you in order to kill you, you got to get rid of those things and you got to run the other way. So what are those things? Let me give you five. Your list might be longer, but at least start with these five and have some discussion around them this week. Number one, anything that causes sin. Jesus would say, if anything's going to cause you to sin, you got to get rid of it in your life. This would be people. This would be places. This might be hobbies. This might be habits. This could be a smartphone. This could be business trips. This could be golf outings. This could be television networks or shows. Anything that could cause your heart to sin has to go. Anything that could bring sin into your marriage has to go. So I got a message from a friend this week who reached out to me who watches our messages every week. And he said, man, after your message... I realized, connected my heart to my head, that I have a lot of old flames that I follow on social media. And it is very unhealthy for me in my marriage. So this, I didn't even preach this message yet. And he said, I've already decided. God, like God already, God preached the message to him before I even preached it to our church. God says those have to go. I reached out to him and I said, can I share this with our church? Because you are not the only man following old flames on social media because your heart is curious and it can lead into sin. So can I, can I say that? And he said, if it will help someone, absolutely. Husbands, wives, you should not be following your ex-boyfriends and girlfriends on social media and, and interacting with their life and seeing what they're doing and fantasizing what your life might be like if you'd have been with them instead of who you're with. Don't do that. Don't do that. Things that cause sin have to go. What else? Number two. Anything that grieves the Holy Spirit in your marriage. Let me tell you how I define that. Galatians 5, and 23 lists the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Anything that removes those from your marriage or buries those from the top of the emotional list in your marriage has to go. So years ago, I had a friend that I used to hang out with from time to time who was just the most negative person on planet Earth. Great friend. Like, not ministry stuff, like... We'd go golf and we'd go to the rules. Like, we'd hang out. And every time I would come home, I'd be miserable because the whole time we were there, he complained about the weather. He complained about his wife. He complained about his job. He complained about politics. He complained about our church. He complained about our small group leaders. So he became a small group leader. Then he complained about the people in his small group. Like, he just complained about everything. Like, he just complained about everything. But he was one of my close friends. And every time I would get home or get off the phone with him, Danielle would be like, man, like, you look like you've just been emotionally vomited on. And one of the times I came home in such a terrible mood, she, she just basically said, you're not allowed to hang out with him anymore. Because who you are when you come home is not who I need you to be as a husband. It's not who the kids need you to be. Um, so um, so we're going we're gonna to block him from your phone. I'm going to remove his number. You're not allowed to hang out with him anymore. I'm like, I'm grounded from a friend? Like, I'm 40. And she's like, it doesn't matter. 
He does not produce in you love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So um, we need him out of our world. It's all right. Gotcha. Who or what do you have in your marriage that removes the fruit of the Holy Spirit from your environment? It's, it's got to go in your life and in your marriage. Number three, what else? Anything or anyone that causes your spouse pain or fear. I'll never forget Josh McDowell coming to Liberty University, speaking at a chapel there. And he defined the love of God as love that provides and protects. He said, you want to know what love is? Love always provides. Love always protects from things that cause pain or fear. Anything or anyone that causes pain or fear. You say, my kids cause me a lot of pain. Well, you, gotta, you have to deal with them. Um, I'm afraid of my in-laws. Other than family. Other than family. Anything or anyone that causes pain or fear. Anytime you hear your wife saying, guys, you have to go with him again. There's a question behind that question. There's a fear behind that question. Ladies, anytime your husband is like, what are you doing on your phone again? Who are you talking to now? There's a question behind that question. So if you as a couple can talk and say, what, what, what do I do that causes you pain or fear that I can remove from our relationship so that we can love like Jesus? Number four, any activity or hobby that can lead to neglect or isolation. I'm saying with a friend just this week who was talking about their parents' divorce, and she said, when I was young, every weekend during the winter, my dad would leave with his boys and go snow skiing, and every weekend in the summer, he would leave and go water skiing, and eventually he left altogether and never came back. The very first question I ask couples when they come to me for marriage counseling, Christian, we're struggling on our marriage, could you meet with us? The very first question I always ask is a relational one. When's the last time you had a date night? So if you and I ever sit down and talk about your marriage, you know it's coming. Like go on a date the night before we have our meetings. I'm going to ask you, like, when's the last time you had date night? Usually it's, it's been a while. When's the last time you've been on vacation alone since your honeymoon? And for most people, it's, it's like never. Honeymoon was the last time we spent more than three days just nurturing our love and being with one another. And I'll say that's not... That's probably not enough time to sustain your love. And they'll say, well, we're really, really busy. They'll say, tell me about your life. And they'll say, well, we're really, really, really busy. But I played 100 rounds of golf this year. It's like, okay. My softball team won the church league championship again. It's like, okay. Um, I'm really, really busy. But I'm the president of the PTA at the school. Okay. Like, I'm the dance team mom or the team mom that, like, gets all the snacks and drinks every time. It's like, okay. And what I realize what they're saying is, we spend a lot of time doing other things that are just more important to us than our marriage at this point. But by pouring into my kids, by pouring into my job, by pouring into my fitness, by pouring into my hobbies, I'm neglecting my spouse and they are isolated. All the things I mentioned, great things. Ski in the winter, ski in the summer. Certainly be a part of your kids' teams. Golf, play softball. Join the PTA. Do all those things after after, after, after you have poured into your marriage so there is no neglect. After you've established a great marriage, do anything and everything else you want to do. And then number five, I always tell people that I'm marrying this. Now that you're getting married, you need to stop doing anything that only single people should do. Quit going clubbing with your friends. Married people don't do that. Married people don't do that. Um, quit going on girls and guys trips out of town for long periods of times that are not spiritual retreats. Married people don't need to do that. Spiritual retreats? Yes. Go to a women's conference. Go to a men's conference. But to leave your husband and wife or family for a week to go pal around with all your single friends? Can't do that. You can't do that. 
And, and this is a new one. And if you're a wife in the room under the age of 30, stay focused on me in this moment. Don't look at your husband because someone will see you do it. This is a new, this is a new one for Danielle and I as we've talked to young couples. But guys, playing video games all day and all night, once you're a married man, stop that. Stop it. Like, play your video games, put on your headphones, play with your friends. Okay, but like staying up till two or three o'clock, letting your wife go to bed by herself every night, not tucking the kids on into, into bed because you're playing video games? Stop that. You are a married man now. Grow up and take some responsibility for your family. Amen? Amen. Amen. It's like, Lord Almighty, I didn't think I'd ever have to preach on that, but thank you, Jesus, for the opportunity. I I would add to this list. I'm trying, trust me. I would add to this list anything else your spouse wants. I would add to this list anything else your spouse wants that I would like you to stop doing so you can show me more love. Which of these areas are keeping you from being close to Jesus? Which of these areas are keeping you from being close to your spouse? Because in Amos 3.3, Amos says a relationship is an agreement. Do two walk together unless they've agreed to do so? If you become a follower of Jesus... You have agreed to live life for him because he died death for you. And you said, I'll even sacrifice when I need to. Because you gave everything, I'll give some some things. I'll I'll even give hard things. Because you gave everything, I will give some things for you. And if you're married, you've agreed to walk together. So you have to figure out how to walk together in the sacrificial love of Jesus. And you say, what is the sacrificial love of Jesus? It's this question. What's necessary for you to experience my love? The sacrificial love of Jesus, because it's all about them, says, what is necessary for you to experience my love? I dare you to ask your spouse that question this week and then just listen and reflect on the answer. What's necessary for you to experience my love? I dare you to ask Jesus that question this week and then just reflect on his answer. What's necessary for you to receive my love. Because Paul told the Corinthians, here's what was necessary for Jesus. He died for all. That those who live following him should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. It's not about you. Turn to someone and tell them it's not about you. It's not about you. If you're a Jesus follower, it's about Jesus. Live for him. If you happen to be married, it's not about you. It's about your spouse. Live for them. Become a loser so you can win spiritually and in marriage. Amen? Amen. Let's stand as we get ready to close in prayer. Our band's going to come and our video service. Pastor Mike is going to come and lead us. For those of you in the room, let's bow our heads. Let's take a deep breath. Jesus, we need you. Jesus, we need you. Jesus, thank you for losing so that we could win. If you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, you need to understand Jesus knew that what was necessary for your life was his death, so he served you.
by sacrificing his life so you could surrender your life to him. And if you've never done that, today could be the day you finally admit your need for Jesus and the day you surrender to his love for you. If you've never done that but want to, all you got to do is open your heart tell the God of heaven that you need him. Just pray something like this from your heart to heaven. Just pray, Jesus, I need you. Forgive me of my sin. Cleanse me of my past. Heal me of my hurt. Lead me into my future. Today I surrender my life to your leadership. And Jesus, I ask for your salvation. If you just prayed that prayer with me in just a second, Pastor Mike's going to be here to tell those of you in the room, those of you online, how you can let us know that you made a spiritual decision so we can follow up and help you as you begin to walk with Jesus. But Christians, as we close in prayer, Christians, hear Jesus today. It's better for you to lose things that you might love in this life so that you can live for Jesus, so that you can love your spouse well, than to lose your marriage or to lose your soul, but it's your choice. And only you can choose what to sacrifice so they can experience your love. Christians, what is God saying to your heart today about any area that we've talked about? If God has pressed an area on your heart, ask him to help you lose so that you might win. Jesus, you said that those who would be willing to lose their lives for you and for the sake of the gospel would live. And Lord, as you taught about marriage, you told us that those who would be willing to see the bait stick and walk away so we wouldn't be trapped and eventually be killed by the things that enticed our eyes or our hearts, that if we'd be willing to see those things that cause the scandals in our life and marriage and we throw them away, that Lord, we'd experience true life. So God, we give you our whole being. Lord, thank you that we don't have to lose our right eye or our right hands because you lost your entire life, but you died on the cross so we could live on this earth truly surrendered to you. So Lord, we surrender both our eyes. We surrender both our hands. We surrender our hearts. We surrender our feelings. We surrender our likes and our dislikes. And Lord, we press into Jesus. And we pray that we'll love you with a sacrificial love. And for those of us who are married, we pray that, Lord, we will be loved and love with the sacrificial love of Jesus that helps people experience the heart that you've given us for you and for them. That's our prayer. And God, we pray you'd help us with that today in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen.